at the book of Acts, chapter number 12. The book of Acts, chapter number 12, is where we'll be at the end of Acts 12 and a little bit of Acts 13 today. Acts chapter number 12, if you need a Bible, there's probably a black-covered Bible there in front of you. You're welcome to use that. And if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep that as our gift to you. You know, you can keep that Bible. We'd love for you to have it. And uh, looking forward to our service tonight and uh, our evening service we have at 6 o'clock. And then after the service, uh, we're glad to have the baby shower for Nico and Marty and uh, for, for baby Silas. And we're excited about that. I know they're excited. Um, I know Miss Marty's very excited because it's getting closer to time, you know, as far as all that. And uh, excited for them to be praying for them. I know Aaron's excited too. Is Aaron the most excited? Marty's the most excited? Okay. Good answer, Nico. You passed that test, man. You did good. You did good. But I encourage you to come. You say, well, I'm a guy. I don't go to baby showers. Well, guys, we figured this thing out. Guys don't love to go to baby showers, but here's what we do. We have church after church is over. We have a fellowship hall, and we eat food. Every guy likes food, right? So they eat food, and while we're eating food, and, and then the ladies are all doing the gifts, the ooh, ah, oh, we're all in the back saying, who won the ball game today? How about it all this go? We're talking. We're like, oh, yeah, Nico, we're praying for you up there, boss. You know, we're having a good time with that. But it's a good time of fellowship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't get out of that, Nico. You got to be up there, boss. And so but it's a good time of fellowship and it's loving on people. And by the way, that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to not just worship together, but to fellowship together, love each other. And that's really what we've been going through in the book of Acts for the last few months. We've been going through a series looking at uh, Acts, and if you, in your Bible, the title of Acts is probably called Acts of the Apostles. It really could be called Acts of Christ through the Apostles, or the Acts of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at our passage here in just a moment, but let's just stop for a moment and ask God to be with us this morning, okay? Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Lord, we just come to you this morning, and Lord, we just want to praise you. Lord, if nothing else was said and done today, Lord, you're great. Your mercy is everlasting and your truth endureth for all generations. Thank you, Father, so much for being God. Lord, a God that not just can hear our prayers, but a God that can answer our prayers and even know our, our deepest burdens and sorrows. But Lord, you can answer those prayers according to your will. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we just got through celebrating with, with two people, Lord, following you in baptism, Lord, just that identification that you allow us to have the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. And Lord, I just pray this morning as we look in your word for the next few moments, Lord, that you would speak through your word. Thank you for everyone that's here today, Lord. There's no one here by accident, Lord. We all have divine appointments. And as crazy as it sounds, God, you want to meet with every single person individually that's here. Thank you, God, for being a loving and patient, forgiving God that still wants to meet with me even knowing the way that I am about myself. Lord, be with those that are working with the children and uh, children's church and nursery and other programs this morning. I pray you'd speak through those teachers. Lord, I pray they might find favor in the eyes and ears of those beautiful children. And Lord, as we look at your word here in the next few moments, I don't know where everybody's at in here, Lord, spiritually. But Lord, thank you that you love every last one of us. You love us unconditionally. Lord, for that soul this morning that's needing comfort, Lord, I pray you would give comfort, you would give peace. That person needing direction, God, I pray that you would make your will so evident, so clear, but Lord, also give them the courage, the strength, the faith to endure it, to follow you. And Lord, for that person today, maybe like myself, that needs to be convicted, Lord, that you would continue to love me enough to show me the truth about myself. And Lord, if there's one among us today, young or old, 
that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, I pray today be the day that you don't become the Jesus they sing about, but you become their Lord and Savior. Thank you so much for his name, we pray. Amen. We've been looking in the book of Acts for, like I said, the last few months, and we see as kind of the theme of the book of Acts is always Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And he says, well, you're going to be witnesses of me. And this is the last thing Jesus tells them. You're going to be witnesses of me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. And I like saying each week, I'm so thankful that God used those disciples and God used those men and women that we read about in the book of Acts because you and I are the ends of the earth. We're the end. We're not Jerusalem. We're the ends of the earth. So I'm thankful that they carried the message of Christ. And if you're here today, well, all of us are here today, whether you're saved or not, you're here today because those people took what Jesus said seriously. And when they go through it, we see the church get started. We looked at Pentecost and saw thousands of people being saved. And, and God starts to multiply and God starts doing great things in the church. But then we see how they all got saved and they all started doing well in the church at Jerusalem. I like to joke, call it First Baptist of Jerusalem or whatever it was called. Started getting huge. But the problem was they wouldn't leave. And God said, not just Jerusalem, but you need to spread the gospel. So God allowed persecution. And God allows some bad things to happen to godly people. Why? Not because God is mean, not because God is not fair. By the way, God never claimed to be fair. God always claims to be just. He claims to be holy. He claims to be perfect. Fair is an opinion that you and I both have. By the way, we can have a different opinion on fair on the same topic just because we have different perspectives and wants. But we see how Jesus comes and, and, and after he, he, he leaves and his Holy Spirit comes and we see how people are saved and, and God starts calling people out. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the church at Antioch and how it says that the Christians or people were called Christian first at Antioch. Well, they called Christians first in Jerusalem, but they were called first Christians at Antioch. Then now it left just the Jews and now it's becoming the Gentiles coming to faith in Christ. And we saw that church of Antioch, and we saw Barnabas, who is called the son of encouragement, and how he comes and he, and he just kind of gives of himself to try to help the faith in Christ grow. And that leads to some great things happening. And I love last week, and I'm not, I don't mean to recoup everything each week, but I hate for you to feel like you showed up 30 minutes late to the movie. But we see how last week, how Peter, it says, is shackled in chains, and how Herod was going to kill him just as he killed James. But it says that the angel came, and what happened? It says that after the church prayed, that it says that his chains fell off and that Peter went out. And we see how God started to bless. And, and in that, we pick it up in verse number 24, if you would. And I'm going to read a couple verses in chapter 13 as well. But in Acts 12, verse 24, we see basically this is at the point where it says, But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul, Saul, by the way, is who we know as Paul today, returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Verse 1 of chapter 13. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had prayed and fasted, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And the kind of the title, if you would, of the message is kind of found there at the end of uh, verse number two, where it talks about God is blessing this church at Antioch. This church is growing. People are following Christ. It's not just a Sunday morning only Christianity, if you know what I mean. It's a lifestyle. They're doing it. And it says there at the end of it, the Holy Spirit says, you know what? I want you to separate into me, Barnabas and Saul. Why? 
He says, for the work whereunto I have called them. And this morning, I want us to look at this idea of this as a believer, the work whereunto Christ has called you. There's not a person in this room that can I tell you this, that Christ does not have a plan and a purpose and a work for your life. I know many of you are super excited about tomorrow. You know why? It's Monday, right? Okay, nobody's excited. It's Monday, right? You get to go what? You get to go to work. You get to start a week. And if you work Monday through Friday, you love Monday. Why? Because Friday seems like an eternity away, right? And when you walk in on your job, guess what? There's something because of your employment that you feel what? You've been called to do, right? There's going to be a boss. There's going to be somebody. Even if you are a boss of people under you, there's still an expectation above you of what? That there's a work that you've been called to do that's expected of you to do that somebody is thinking that this is what your purpose is. By the way, whether you got a job, whether you stay at home, you stay at home, by the way, if you stay at home with kids, man, you got a work God's called you unto because you never get to clock out, do you? You never get the clock out of it. You say, well, maybe if they leave. When some of you are like, don't worry, Phil, when they, when they leave, you still got to work with them too. You got to do all these kind of things. But I want you to understand something today. God has a purpose for your life. He has a work that he's called you to do. And by the way, some of the things that God has called you to do necessarily and who you are and what to do, it may not be the same thing that God's called me to do. But generally, as we speak, I want us to see some things through this passage that God called this church to do and particularly what he called Barnabas and Saul, who we know as Paul, to do. Some things that I really believe as a church that he kind of expected them to do. And, you know, today and, and this morning, if you're here today, whether you're a member of Emmanuel Baptist Church or not, I'm so glad that if you're a brother or sister in Christ, you know we're part of the family of God. Whether you go to church here, you go to church down the road, whether you go to church in another state, it's wonderful to know that, you know what, my identity is not based on being a member here at Emmanuel. My identity is based on the salvation and the free gift of God and eternal life through Christ. That's what it is. And that's why we can get together as believers and we can celebrate. But can I tell you something as believers today? There's something that God's called us to do. There's some things that he's asked us to do. You ever have something to do that you know you're supposed to do, but you just kind of put it off? Like you know you're supposed to do it. I call it dieting. You know, I know I'm supposed to do that, but I'm just going to put it off. Exercising. You ever think to yourself, man, I really need to run a mile. And tomorrow will be a really good day to start that. You know why? Because tomorrow never comes, right? When I wake up tomorrow, it'll be today. And I say, man, that, that somebody ought to do that. You know, that'll be good. But I want us to look at some things that this church did, these people that just came to faith in Christ, by the way, after maybe a year or so. They were fulfilling the work that God had called them to do. And maybe it'd be some good things for us as a reminder, whether you're a part of our church but more importantly, you're a believer in wherever God has you in your life. But there's a work that God has called us to do. And I want us to see some things that were evident in this church. Number one, I want us to see this. They had relational harmony. They had relational harmony. You say, what do you mean? Look, look back in verse number one of, of chapter 13. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean, which had been caught up, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and of Saul. So you read that, you're probably like, hey, nothing, I barely say those names. By the way, I probably tore those names up saying them. But now I want you to understand something. They had relational harmony. You ought to think about the guys it just mentioned that was in that room. The people that was mentioned in this room. One of them it said was who? Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? We started seeing him in Acts chapter number four. At the end of Acts chapter number four, remember Barnabas gets saved. He trusts Christ. And you remember he felt God leading for him to sell what he had and give it to the apostles. And you remember they actually changed his name from Joseph to Barnabas. 
Because what? He's the son of encouragement. He's the son of consolation. And he gave what he had. And he said, I just want to give this to God. I want to give this. No one's asking me to do it. I just want to be an encouragement. And we see him. And, and by the way, don't you love people like that? It says, hey, he gets saved and he gets it. You know what I mean? It's not about self anymore. It's all about serving God, loving God, pleasing God. That's what he wanted to do. And we see that in Barnabas. But then you also see who else is in that. One of the last names on the list is what? Saul. Remember Saul, right? We don't like to call him Saul, do we? We won't call him Paul. Because most of his life, he's called Saul. What do we remember of him? Over in chapter number eight, what does it say? Whenever they took Stephen to stone him to death, it said they laid their coats at a young man's feet whose name was what? Saul. Saul actually got, who we know as Apostle Paul today, actually sat there probably holding the coats of the very men that took the life of Stephen for what? Do what I'm doing this morning. Killed him. In fact, if you go to the very next chapter, I believe it's chapter number eight or nine, excuse me, I think it's nine. It says, and Saul consenting unto his death. You know what that means? And Saul approving of the killing of Stephen. It actually gave Saul joy for Stephen to die. He wanted that. And it goes on to talk about that he started, what, wreaking havoc on the church. And as we know, as we get to chapter nine, that what does it say? Jesus meets Saul on the road to Damascus and Saul puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see the man that was taking men, women, and children and bringing them bound for what? Doing the same thing we're doing this morning. Now he has a faith and trust in Christ and how Christ saved him. So you got a guy that gets saved and gets it and you don't see any bad things in life. And you see somebody who you think is probably, you ever look at somebody and say, I just don't know if they're ever going to get saved. No, we ain't, we ain't going to shake our heads on that. But you ever looked at somebody and said, they ain't no way they're a Christian. I look at the way they live up, they ain't no way they're going to heaven. Paul was that guy. Paul was the guy that God saved. By the way, can I tell you something today? There's nobody too far gone beyond the grace of God. You cannot out the grace of Christ. You cannot do it. There is more grace in Christ than there ever will be sin in you. And you need to remember that when Satan tells you you're too far gone, you need to quit. There's no hope for you. And you say, well, Phil, you don't know who I am. I don't, God does. And that's more important to me knowing who you are. And God loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to change your life. And we see his changed life. But it doesn't just say there. It goes on and says there's another man named Manan in verse 1 who had been brought up with Herod. So let me kind of tell you real quick who that is. Manan grew up with a guy named Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch is the son of Herod who cut off John the Baptist's head, killed him, which is also the grandson of Herod, who we know about that what happened in the birth of Christ, remember? Remember the wise men that came and what did Herod say? Hey, tell me, I want to go worship him. And remember when he found out the wise men went a different direction, Herod sent out the decree, what? Kill every boy that's two years old or younger in the city of Bethlehem. And we hear about the great cry of Bethlehem. So you got somebody here that's a long friend of somebody that's got some pretty horrible family history. It's got a pretty horrible past in that. And, and you say, well, Phil, why do you tell us this? We understand they got different backgrounds. Can I tell you something? The gospel takes people with different backgrounds and very hostile to each other, and the gospel does something that no human being can do, does the work of reconciliation. It brings people together. It draws them to it. Hey, talking about relational harmony, something this church practiced. Hey, there's a lot of ethnic diversity in that. You look at Barnabas. Barnabas was a Hellenistic Jew. You say, what does that mean? That means he was a Jew of birth, but he had lived most of his life either in Rome or in Greece or in other places. And so he only was a Jew by birth. He wasn't actually, that wasn't his culture. It wasn't his lifestyle. 
It talks about Simeon here. We don't know a whole lot about Simeon. We don't know where he's from. But it says whose surname or who was called Niger. Niger is a Latin word for black. So we know he was dark-skinned in that. It goes on to talk about Lucius, Lucius of Cyrene, who actually, Cyrene is actually a place in Africa. So we know he is African. Manan, by the way, if I say Jew and I say Palestinian, do you think peace? Manan wasn't just a friend of the person of the son that was the one of Herod the Delic killing. Manan was a Greek Palestinian. And not only that, Saul, who was what? A Hebraic Jew, or actually was a Jew of birth, Jew of lifestyle. You say, when you look at that, you look at all those diversities, you look at all that culture, you look at all that, and that sounds like a powder keg, doesn't it? That kind of sounds, that whole list kind of sounds like a bad joke, right? Kind of like someone says, what do you do if you have a, a Palestinian, a Jew, and a Nazi all together? It kind of sounds like a bad situation, doesn't it? But it wasn't a bad situation for those guys. You know why? Because their eyes weren't on themselves. Their eyes were on pleasing and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I could stop just for a moment, the church as we know it will never be what Christ wants us to be until we can have some relational harmony inside of it. It means people that don't look like you, don't act like you, ain't from where you're from, ain't the same social class as you. They may be different from you in many different ways. Can I tell you, we'll never ultimately please Christ the way we are if we expect everybody to be just like us. Just think about it. Tell you, what if the church today was, what if Emmanuel, if you're from Emmanuel, what if the church today, Emmanuel, every single person acted just like you? You say, well, that'd be pretty much paradise, wouldn't it, Phil? That'd be awesome, right? I am so glad there's no, nobody in here acts like me. Can you imagine that? But how many churches do you walk into today and you get one of these? They look you up. They look you down. They ask a couple of questions about you, where you are at in life and what you're going through. And if you don't meet up to their status, what is it? Do you get accepted? No. I'm so glad that God so loved the world. He didn't so love Jewish people only. I'm so glad that God so loved the world. He didn't love Gentiles only. I'm so glad God loved the world. That means he loved poor people. It means he loved middle class people. He loved rich people. He loved everybody. You know, he didn't have certain things in life. And can I tell you, it's not about uh, their ethnic. It's not about those different things, but it's about relationships and those things. And they kept worshiping God. And these guys together are part of this church. And they could care less where they're from, what they look like, or who, who, where, whatever language they speak. They could care less about that. And by the way, we ought to as the same token as a church. I appreciate, Brother Paul, what he was saying there. You know, there's a lot of danger coming to the church. There's a lot of danger in things. But can I tell you, as much as we ought to be concerned, anybody that walks through those doors that wants to hear about Christ and go closer to him, we ought to sit here like this. Remember, Jesus didn't condone people's sin. But he did show them he loved them. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Remember all the guys had rocks, right? The stoner. Remember what Jesus said? You without sin, cast the first stone. And by the way, don't you want to know what Jesus was writing on the, on the dirt? I mean, I do. I mean, it's like, God, could you not just told us what you wrote on the dirt there? You know, he wrote in there. I kind of wonder if he was writing the sins of those people standing there holding the rock. I just wonder. That's philology. I can't give you a verse there for that, okay? But it's amazing. When all of them left, he looked at her woman. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, there's none that accuse me. And he says, it's neither do I condemn thee, but go and sin no more we gotta have the mentality that says i don't condemn you i want to love you i don't want to help you to go in your life and sin no more 
You know, the church needs to remember sometimes we all just messed up people. We messed up in different ways. But we're all imperfect people seeking to please, to worship, and to praise, and to love a perfect God. There's nobody perfect that's sitting in this room today. You're not looking at a perfect person. We're not perfect. And you know what helped these guys out? They had a bond. They had a brotherhood. You know why? Because that came from knowing and living for Christ. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people that know Christ that aren't living for Christ, and that's why you got some diversity. That's why you got division. That's why you got issues and schisms and isms in a family, in a church, on a job. And you know what? We got to get to the place where we not just know Christ, but we live for Christ in the way we do it. See, Christ is building something here. He's not just building a church building. He's building part of the body of Christ, and that, and that is needed to have relational community, relational connectivity in that. And it ought to be the norm for people of different backgrounds and people to be norm people of different experiences because here's what's great about us all being different. It gives us the opportunity to practice something. Grace, love, forgiveness, and that wonderful word that begins with a P, patience. Is it hard being patient with some people? But aren't you glad when people show it to you? I remind myself very often, I'm so glad that God shows me more grace than I show other people. And if God showed me the same grace I show other people sometimes, man, I'd be in some deep trouble. But having that opportunity to show that for healing, for reconciliation, for helping people. Hey, you know, there may be people in this room here that, man, you live, in, you, you live very well. You live in a nice house, big everything, everything's great. There may be people in here just, you know, we're making ends meet. There may be people in here, you, only thing you see is more month than you ever see money. There may be people in here that comes from broken homes. There may be people in here from great homes. There may be people in here that have not just mom and dad were saved, but grandma and grandpa and saved. As far as you go, they were a Christian. You got people in here that you're a first-generation Christian. You're the first person that's come to put your faith in Christ. There may be people in here that you know a lot about Scripture, and there will be some people in here you don't even know where your Bible's at today. But you know what's awesome? We're to love them. And we're to remember something. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. For me to live is Christ. It means I thank God because of who Christ is in our life and his forgiveness and his love. You know what? It's okay. That's that common bond that we have. One with another. We have that common bond in that. You know, in talking about the relational harmony there, I kind of think about this. I wonder, just wonder, especially if you're a part of church here, I just kind of wonder if it wasn't for church, would, we, would you hang out with some of the people that you hang out with here at church? If you took church away, you know, aren't you glad that we all don't have the same personality? Some of you are very quiet, like me. No, I'm not quiet at all. You're very quiet. You're very meek. Some of you love sports. Some of you can't stand sports. I'm getting that way, okay, with who I like, all right? I'm just kidding. You know, some of you are loud, and you don't need anybody to talk back to you. In fact, you'll talk to the light fixtures whenever it's done. Some of y'all know who I'm, okay, some of y'all have things in that. But you know what I mean? Some of us, let's just be honest, if we were just making friends, we wouldn't make friends and, and fellowship and worship with people unless it wasn't for church. And you know what that is? It's not about us. It's about Christ and what Christ has done. And whenever you realize that bond, that commitment that you have together, and we need to see as believers that God is on going calling us to help with each other and walk with each other and that means sometimes in life what when you're walking with people that don't have the same personality as you walking with people that are different from you and walking with people but thank god have salvation like you have salvation that means at times that you know what and i love about church there are going to be times that we're going to have to encourage one another 
There's also many times we got to call each other on stuff. You ever have somebody in your life that just gets on your nerves, but you're thankful for them, but they just get on your nerves because they call you on stuff. You're like, yeah, Phil, it's you. You, you the one that drives me crazy. You know, you get that text from somebody you don't even want to open. It's like, all right, I already know I'm messing up in this, but thank you. Whew, okay. You know, and you're not real thankful for them. They get on your nerves, but you know what? You know that they love you. They know that it's not about them. It's because they want to see you please God with your life. Go forward in your life. And that's part of what it is. It don't matter how you are or who or where you're from. It's about the idea of encouraging and helping somebody in their walk with Christ in those things. You know, I kind of find it funny sometimes, you know, we'll have different prayer requests or, or, or different things when we have different things together. And, and, you know, sometimes every now and then, and I've been a part not here but, you know, you hear, you ever sometimes blow up your situation like your situation's really not as bad? I mean, the world's really not falling apart like it is. You know what I mean? Like you sit there and you got your problems and you hear about this somebody that's maybe struggling with a drug abuse or someone's struggling in their family. Maybe some kids are straying away from God. Maybe they're struggling with your health and your whole day's been messed up because your kid's playroom is not clean. You know what I mean? Like that. We've all been like it. I, I've had stuff in my life like, man, ain't nothing went right today. Man, I'm just so upset. Man, I'm so frustrated. Then I come to church and I hear about some brother or sister in Christ that's just had some type of loss, had some kind of issue in their life. And I'm so glad because Christ looks at us both and says, you're brothers and sisters. There needs to be that relational harmony. There needs to be that. And one thing we, I think we need to understand is this. When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to people, God never expected the church to be selective. Aren't you glad for the verse whosoever will may come? Man, that ought to be the same thing in any body of believers as a church, as individuals. But by the way, if God didn't intend for the church to be selective, he didn't intend for people to be selective in their everyday lives. Like we all say before, there are some people it's just so easy to love, ain't it? You ever got people in your life, it's hard to love them? And you like feel it'd be really great to love them from afar but you know what they're in your life they're at your job they're in your family but you know what god doesn't intend for us to be selective in that and and we don't need to be a respecter of persons i, I like to quote you a verse from over in james chapter number two verse number nine talking about how god doesn't want us to be selective james chapter two verse number nine says this but if you have respect to persons ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors you, you hear that but if you have respect of persons, what does it say? Sin. God is not a respecter of persons in our life. I can't be a respecter of person. I always like it. Like it. It's kind of like the, the going down the hall mentality. You ever go down the hall at work or at home or at church and you see somebody and you're like, oh, good. Let's go over here real quick. You know, let's go over here real quick. Let's do this real quick. You try to dodge them. Let's just be genuine for a moment here. You ever get kind of the part where maybe you got some tracks you want to invite people to church and you see somebody and maybe how they're dressed or how they looked or what they say and do and you're like, yeah, I don't know about you. Ain't none of us going to say that out loud. But we've all done it. I got to realize something. You know what the qualification is for coming to Christ is? Being born. Living, breathing in and out. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. None of us, none of us are worthy of what God wants to give us. And the idea that God is not a respecter of persons, and he even says it in James, he says to be a respecter of persons is what? Sin. 
So that means when I share Christ with that person on my job, but I don't want to share it with that person because of maybe a bitterness I have in my heart or maybe because of the money they make or because of something they've done, God said you're showing respect to persons that sin. That's tough swallow. Man, I want to show it to them right there, but man, I don't know about their lifestyle. Man, I don't know about them. I don't know about their mouth. Do I want them as part of my church? So glad God didn't look at me and say, do I really want him as part of the body of Christ? But we see these relational things. We see how he wasn't, he wasn't selective in those things. And we need to be careful to remember that God loves everybody, that God's also calling you and God's calling me not just to like and love certain somebodies, but to love everybody. You ever sometimes wonder why God brings certain people in your life? You're like, okay, God, I know why you got them. They encouraged me. They helped me. God, I have no idea why you brought so-and-so in my life. I mean, I feel like I had my, my patience jar was full. And God, I don't know why you brought this person in my life. By the way, just to throw it out there, you're probably that person for someone else. Just throwing it out there, okay? But we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are what? The called according to his purpose. You are the purpose. That person has a purpose and, and meaning in that. And so we see this here. And, and number one, by the way, was a lot longer than the rest of them. But we see, what did this church have? They had relational different. They had relational harmony. But the second thing I see about this church is this, is that they were ministering unto the Lord. Look in verse 2. It says, and as they ministered unto the Lord. You say, what does that mean? By the way, can I tell you something? If you really want to please God with your life, if you want to please God with your life, you've got to be involved in the ministry of God. And by the way, that doesn't just mean standing up here preaching. It doesn't mean they're singing. That means when you leave here that you are the hands, you are the feet, you are the mouth, you are the eye of Christ. And I tell you, our Christianity a lot of times comes in this room but stays in this room. Can I tell you, it's almost, if probably if not more important for me to please Christ in the way I live out there than it does in here. Because I can live out there in such a way that deters people from ever thinking about coming in here. I know people say it all the time. You know, you got to remember, your actions in your life is the only Bible some people will ever read. Because you call yourself Christian. Because I call myself a Christian. And it says that they, they ministered in the Lord. They were involved. And, and can I encourage you with something today? In, in case you're here, we looked a little bit in Sunday school class. You say, Phil, I'm at church. I work in church. I try to do things on my job. I try to do these things. But I tell you, ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. Amen. I agree with you a lot, okay? We joke on soccer. Soccer out here would be great if it wasn't for parents a lot of times. <laughs> it would be. But that's what ministry is about, right? And you know what happens sometimes, like we talked about this morning? The things we do for God, we're not really doing them for God. We're doing them for people. And we start doing these things, and we start being involved, and we start thinking it's all about serving people. And can I tell you, it needs to be for people, but it doesn't need to be for self. But I need to remember something that I don't need to forget, that when we gather together and when you serve and when you worship and when you do all these things, you're really, at the end of the day, you don't need to be doing it for people. You need to be doing it for God. If you're here today at church just because you don't want so-and-so to be happy with you, can I tell you, you're, you're limiting your blessing. Because that person's only going to be able to give you a little bit of blessing compared if you're here for God, to worship God, to love God. It says, what, my cup, what, runneth over. That he can pour and he can pour and he can pour. And, and the things that we do in this life, when we sing, we need to sing unto the Lord. When we pray, we need to do it unto the Lord. When we praise, we need to do it unto the Lord. When we worship, we need to do it unto the Lord. And we got to remember, we're here today not to please anybody. And that's really hard on me today. You know why? 
because I just got through baptizing. I know we got people visiting with us. I know we got people here and doing all that stuff. And then Sunday, when it's time for me to get up and preach, I know you didn't crawl out of bed just to some, sit here and listen to me talk and ramble on and on and on. So you know what I feel tempted to a lot of times? Make sure I give something that will make the people happy. But can I just be honest with you? If I'm right with God, it ain't about what I'm giving you. It's about pleasing him. Now, the Bible does say speak the truth. And by the way, we need to remember the rest of that verse. In love. Jesus only turned the tables over one time. And can I tell you when he did? It was when people in his house were putting on what wasn't really in their heart and life. It was by the Pharisees and living a Pharisaical life. And we got to serve God and minister to God. But remember, don't do it for people. Because if you do it for people, it'll run out. You ever do something for somebody and you're like, man, I'm just doing it. I'm doing it for them. I tell you, I got in one point in my ministry back years and years ago. I had so much frustration about what I was doing. And I even tell Rachel, I'd say, you know what? I'm just doing it for the kids. I'm doing it for the kids. I'm doing it for the kids that I was ministering to. But what happens when the kids didn't love me? What happens when the kids, the teenagers I was working, what, what, what happens when they didn't approve of what I was doing? Wasn't grateful what I was doing. You know what happens? I get upset and I get mad and I want to quit. You're here today and you're a mom, you're a dad. You don't need to raise your children for your children. You need to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You need to be doing it for God because there's going to be days that little, little Sally and little Johnny aren't going to look at you and say thank you for what you do. They're going to test that little bit of patience that you had left that you didn't even know you had. You've got to be doing it for God. So if you're not doing it for God, let's just be honest, it'll stop. Or it'll be empty. It'll be meaningless in our lives. But they minister in the Lord. But another thing we see here about this one, it goes on in the verse and says, and they minister to the Lord and fasted. Well, I got quiet in the room right now, didn't it? You're like, Phil, you can't teach on fasting, man. I mean, it's Sunday. I mean, the roast is in the crock pot, man. I mean, you, you cannot talk about fasting today. You can, but can I tell you something? Fasting's in the Bible. And you say, well, I don't really understand what that means. And we're not talking about fasting to lose weight. Okay. The idea of fasting here is just talking about you have a burden on your heart so deep for someone, so, so impressing on you for someone else, that you're willing to sacrifice of yourself, maybe a meal, maybe something in particular, so that you can get on your knees and lift them up and lift it up to God and say, God, I'm willing to sacrifice of something of my own self of, to lift it up to you. Do you remember back in Matthew chapter number 17? I won't take time to turn there. But you remember in Matthew 17, uh, it says that a man brought his son that was possessed with demons. And you remember the disciples couldn't heal him, couldn't call out the demons, couldn't do anything. But do you remember what Jesus told them in Matthew 17, verse number 21? They said, why couldn't we do it? Jesus, you did it. You walked in and just, bam, made it leave. You healed him. How did you do it? And Jesus said, this kind, this kind of power cometh forth only by prayer and fasting. You know why I don't like to fast? I don't like to sacrifice. Now, by the way, there's some people that physically you don't need to fast because of your physical condition. But I dare say there's some people spiritually they'll never fast because of their preference. I'll pray about them, but I'll never sacrifice of my own self. I never sacrifice of my own to do that. You know, let me ask you, is there something that burdens your heart? You praying about a kid that's away from God? You praying about a medical situation? You praying about something at work? You praying about your job? You praying about something in your own life that just seems a lot bigger than you? Let me, let me just encourage you to pray, consider something. Consider fasting and doing that for God. By the way, can I also help you with something? The Bible's pretty clear when you fast, that's between you and God. Remember one of the knocks on the Pharisees? 
what, that they would lift up their voices and pray out loud and proclaim everything they were doing for God. But Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 17, there's certain things that are only going to happen when you really get a hold of God and really sacrifice of yourself and really just say, God, I'm just going to fast. I'm just going to do this. And so we see that part of fasting here, but we go to the next part is this. It says the intercession. It says, it says this, they fasted and prayed. I mean, prayed for them. And by the way, I find something interesting. What's happening at this church here? Barnabas and Saul are leaving them. And you know what you don't read them saying? God, help us send us somebody to replace them. God, they're leaving me. So God, send us some new people. Send us another Barnabas and Saul. Know what it says? They prayed for them as they go. I know I say this a little bit, but if I had to strip away from your prayer life everything that involved you or your family or anything that involved you, how much prayer do you have? How much of your prayer life would be if we stripped away everything that just involves self and things that touch self? See, they said, hey, hey they're leaving, and because they're leaving, we're going to lift them up to God and pray for them. I tell you, there's people in this room, there's people on your job, there's people in your home that you know what? You ought to sacrifice praying for yourself and to have a good day and all those things and just cry out to God for them and just uplift them to God, to pray for them, to intercede for them. I encourage you, pray for your kids, pray for your church, pray for your family, pray for our missionaries. You know why? Because those people that we don't pray for, Satan desires for them to continue in darkness. Just let them be blinded. Just let them keep things that are going a certain way. Pray for those people. I tell you, I'm a parent and I'm finding out I'm not very equipped for a lot of the things that I face in a day. The same kids that sometimes make me just laugh and just hurt, you know, stomach split and laugh, you know. Sometimes I'm like, man, I wasn't ready for that. In a bad way, in a negative way. Can I ask you something? Are you concerned about your kids? Do you worry about your kids? You say, Phil, I'm a mama, I'm a daddy. I naturally worry. That's right, because we're man, we're human. It's our natural tendency to worry and fret and try to figure it out. It is not our natural tendency to take it to the one that knows how it's going to work and he's sovereign and reigns over everything. It's not our natural tendency. We always like to say around here, do you worry about it more than you pray about it? You worried about your job? You worried about your health? You worried about your relationships? Do you think of them and worry about them more than you take them to the one that actually can do more exceedingly, abundantly, above all that what we ask or even think according to what the power that worketh in us, that's the Holy Spirit. I tell you, we like to worry and fret a whole lot more and we like to talk to the one that can give us peace and, and answer everything in that. But we also see identification in here. It says, and when they had fasted, verse 3, and prayed and laid their hands on them, now, I want you to tell laying hands on them is not transferring anything. It's just symbolic of what? A love and a commitment to lift them up to them. You say, Brother Phil, this is a spiritual gift I've been waiting for because I want to lay my hands on some people in my life. There's some people in my life I've been waiting. Thank you for that verse. That's not what it's talking about, okay? The idea, the symbolism here with the idea of laying on hands it's the idea is that these people wanted Saul and Barnabas to know that they were with them and they identified to them and they were committing to help them in any situation. I tell you, there's some people probably in your life that even though you might want to physically lay hands on them, they need you to spiritually lay some hands on them. They need to know that you identify with them and that you're with them and not just when they're doing right, but when they're going way off the path. I tell you, one of the great falls, one of the great uh, things, I think, mistakes that Christians make 
is when another brother or sister in Christ gets off the path, we excommunicate them and sacrifice our own people. That's the time they need someone to come up and say, hey, I love you. You're getting off the path. Let me help you. Are you thankful that the day you got off the path spiritually that somebody came around you, didn't cast you to the dogs? They came around and said, hey, let me help you get back on the right track. And they, when they laid their hands on they say, hey, we know you're leaving, but we won't let you know that we're with you. We identify to them. And the last thing I have for us this morning, and I appreciate, is that we see an investment. Look what it says. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on it, they sent them away. You know, you have to invest in people. You have to invest in people. That may be something of, of money, but I tell you a lot of times, I tell you what's harder than me, than money, is time. I don't get time back. But investing of ourselves, of our, of our time and our abilities and different things. Over in the, in the book of James, chapter number 2, verse 15 through 17, it says this. If a brother or sister be naked or without and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them none those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. It's the idea of this ministry or service that cost you nothing will accomplish nothing if you truly want to make an impact in someone's life and help in somebody's life if you if it doesn't cost you anything of your time your talent your treasure whatever if what doesn't cost you something normally doesn't accomplish a whole lot you ever heard the saying people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care there's a lot of people that know you know a lot but they want to see if you actually care to sit alongside of them whenever they're going through that health issue. To put your arm around them, not give them all the answers, but just say, hey, that kid that's straying away from God. Whenever they lose their job or they're going through a hardship in a relationship, not to give them three points in a poem and a sermon, but just to be there and help remind them as we looked at in Hebrews chapter 2 on, on, on Wednesday night, that God says, I know. I felt the burdens that you feel. And to invest in them and, and to do that. Can I tell you, a lot of, there's a lot of Christians that are looking at people lost in darkness, people that are needing hope, needing direction, and needing saving. You know what we're telling them? Be warmed and filled, depart in peace, and not helping. Can I tell you, a lot of times, we'll never meet people's spiritual needs until we're willing to help meet their physical needs. If they know I don't care about their physical needs, then they're not going to care what I've got to tell them about being a better person or being a Christian. They're not going to care about that. And I tell you, as a church and as believers, we need people that will stand behind people. And when they're worried and they're fretting and they're going through things in life, when they feel like they don't, they don't add up and they don't reach a certain status, they need that person that'll say, you know what, but I'll give you Jesus because that's all I have. And can I be honest with you? I don't care if I've been to seminary, Bible college, wherever you want to call it. There's certain things in life that I walk up into a situation and I don't have the answer. They didn't give me that course in Bible college on what to do here or there. But you know what, I always try to remind myself, it's not me they need anyways, they need Jesus. And if you're saved, you got Jesus. But are you giving him? Are you helping? You don't have to have all the answers. And I asked as we close, how can we today reach our town? How can we fulfill Acts chapter 1 verse 8, reach our county? How can we do all the, into the uttermost parts here? How can we do it? And don't take this wrong, but let me lean in for a second. How can we really do these things if all we do is warm a seat on Sunday? And the life doesn't reflect it out there. You know why they were called Christians first at Antioch? Not because they saw them going to the church house, but because they saw Christ of the church 
being fulfilled and it reflected Christ as they left it. And as they went, and when people see you, that'll look at you and not have to listen to you say, oh, you're a Christian? Your life ought to represent Christ. It ought to reflect Christ. It ought to demonstrate Christ. And that's why we give tracts to strangers. That's why we build relationships in soccer. That's why we give candy. That's why we do all the different things in ministry that we do. And may we be Christians and may be a church that has what? Relational harmony. That's ministering unto the Lord, not unto self. That fasts and prays. And that identifies with and invests in people. Because if we're honest, the business of the gospel should be the business of the church. The business of bringing people to faith in Christ for salvation. But also, let's be honest, the business of helping people see Jesus and just how to live their everyday life and face their everyday problems ought to be the work whereunto we've been called. Let's stand together if you would. Father, thank you so much for the day. This